Good morning. The title of this sermon is Our Hope and Comfort in Jesus. Last week, we heard that the Thessalonians were taught to love by God. And having been taught by God, they and us are positioned uniquely to love one another. We saw that in chapter one, they were loved by God. And in chapter four, they were taught to love by God. And so therefore, we are to love one another. Tim mentioned two aspects of God's love last week, God's steadfast love and God's redeeming love. Well, this morning, we're going to see God's faithfulness from salvation through glorification. Will you please pray with me as I breathe? A word of prayer by the Gettys. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience. Holy reverence, true humility, test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace, we'll stand on your promises. And by faith, we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Amen. Last year, my Ate Luce, let me translate that, my Aunt Luce went to the hospital to have a preconditioned health issue treated. Shortly after that, she came home with coronavirus symptoms. And subsequently, she unknowingly gave the virus to her husband, my Uncle Caesar. Uncle Caesar succumbed to the COVID virus on the weekend of Mother's Day. A couple of days later, my Aunt Luce also passed away due to the virus. Personally, this hit close to home. I can't imagine the bewilderment of my cousins as they process the death of both of their parents and as they plan for a double funeral. And because of travel restrictions and, of course, COVID concerns, we were not able to grieve with them in person. 
on February 28th of this year, we celebrated Melinda's birthday. My sister and my brother Joe and his family came over to celebrate with us. If there's a picture behind me of my family, if you don't know um, Joe, he's my brother next to me. It's a normal birthday celebration with food and fellowship. And while we were planning this, we were asking, you feel okay? Yeah, I feel okay. You guys feel okay? Yeah, we feel okay. Let's get together. But six days later, we don't know how, but my brother got sick with COVID along with his wife, Tracy, and their daughter, Sierra. My brother owned a pesticide business, and so he was in and out of homes quite a bit. But it was also during this time that his church had some COVID upticks. I think at the same time, our church had some upticks in COVID as well. After a few days of being sick, his wife Tracy and his daughter um, got better, like most of you did when you got COVID. But my brother Joe got worse and worse, and so he drove himself to the ER. He was admitted to the ICU, and after several weeks of prayer, my brother Joe, who was a believer, His heart stopped due to COVID complications. We were all devastated. I can remember the night the phone call came in. We were in our community group. We just threw a surprise birthday party for our beloved sister, Chung Oh. We sang happy birthday to her in Korean. We ate good food. I just sat down to eat a slice of cake when the phone call came in. I thought it was odd because up until then, we've been getting updates via text. And most of all, a lot of them were good updates, but there were always complications. But a phone call? I heard the voice, Alex, your brother Joe passed away. I was in disbelief. We all had faith that um, he would. We believed that he would come home. Though I knew there were some major, major health difficulties, and I knew that God had to heal him, but we just hoped that he would come home. In a celebration atmosphere, how do I tell my sister? God sovereignly had my sister join us that evening. I remember she was talking with Cricket, and I waited and waited until I could get a word from her. And I managed to pull her out of the home. And when she heard, she wailed loudly. The McGill's neighbors were outside. They heard as I ushered her into my car and as we drove to the hospital. According to the CDC data tracker, in the last 30 days, the number of COVID cases exceeds 33 million. And the death toll is at around 592,776 in the U.S. alone. Church, can you imagine 
how much grieving our country has, done, has gone through lately. For the unbelieving world, they grieve with no hope, but for Christians, we grieve differently, don't we? We grieve, but with hope. Something similar happened to the church in Thessalonica. The church had experienced the loss of death within their community. And they also went through a bewilderment, a season of bewilderment. After Paul mentioned the coming of the Lord Jesus in his, his, his letter of the Thessalonians in chapter 3, verse 13, the church was bewildered because they were thinking, if the Lord was coming, what would happen to my loved ones who had already died before his second coming? They thought they were at a disadvantage. Well, Paul had written this section of scripture to correct that wrong thinking. Apparently, after only a few weeks in Thessalonica, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were forced to leave abruptly. We see this in chapter 2, verse 15. It speaks of how they were driven out. Verse 17 speaks of how they were torn from them. So this left the new believers with some troubling questions such as what are, what is the fate of all of our loved ones who had died before the return of Jesus? Think about it. You are young in your faith and you heard the apostle Paul mention that the Lord is coming and it sounded like it was imminent now you've got the, these loved ones who have died and you automatically think, wow, what, what's going to happen to them? Perhaps Paul didn't have the opportunity to teach them that doctrine of resurrection. Perhaps this is why Paul, Timothy, and Silas most earnestly prayed night and day so that they can see the Thessalonian church face to face and supply what was lacking in their faith, chapter 3, verse 13, or verse 10. Well, for, for us today, church, Trinity Community Church, we have the full revelation of God's word. Therefore, our hope and our, and our comfort can be found in Jesus. Here's the driving theme of this sermon. In the face of death, our hope and our comfort are found in the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, we are to encourage one another with the word of truth. For the unbelieving world, in the face of death, they grieve, but without hope and comfort. Because they don't believe in life after death in Christ Jesus. But by the mercy and grace of God, it is different for the church because of Jesus and the good news of the gospel. We grieve, but we can find hope and comfort in Jesus because of what he has done on our behalf. If you're taking notes, I only have one heading for us this morning. It's this, Jesus is our hope and comfort for those who have died. Would you look with me at verse 13? But we want you but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Here, Paul circles back 
around the doctrine of resurrection. He didn't want the Thessalonians to be uninformed about the doctrine of resurrection. While others outside of the church, the unbelievers grieve without hope for those who died. Paul wanted to comfort the church in Thessalonica, this young church. And so how does he do that? Well, let's look at the word asleep there in verse 13. The word asleep in verse 13 is a euphemism for the word death. So for us today, we don't say that the, we don't use the word asleep for those who have, who have died, right? We don't, we don't use that kind of language. For Paul, I believe in the context of the resurrection, he used the term asleep because for believers, death is as good as a night's sleep. But the reality of death is grieving, isn't it? Paul didn't say, do not grieve. He said to grieve, but with hope. Grieving is a natural way of responding. It's a healthy way of responding to a death of a loved one. After a very late night in the ICU waiting room, after Tracy, my brother's wife, finally accepted that Joe wasn't coming home. We all finally went home. And I can remember the following day, early in the morning, when reality hit me really hard. I laid in my bed, quietly grieving and crying, and with my pillow wet, and as I sobbed quietly, our bed shook, Melinda comforted me with her embrace. Grieving is a healthy and natural way to respond to the, in the face of death. Jesus, our Savior, grieved and wept when his good friend Lazarus died. But Christian grief should look different, right? From non-Christians who grieve with no hope. No, we grieve with hope. You see, in the context of 1 Thessalonians 1, we grieve hope because of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. The Bible uses this word hope in different ways. It can mean the expectation of something good, or it can mean a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation which I believe is that's the meaning of this word hope in the context of the resurrection. Therefore, Christians grieve, but our grieving can be mixed with sorrow, comfort, confidence, and even joy. Trinity, how can the apostle Paul confidently proclaim verse 13? Why can Christian grieving be mixed with sorrow, comfort, assurance, and even joy? Because death does not have the last word. Both of my parents have died when my father, Charles Bowman, passed away. Uh, his his uh, tombstone reads his name his birth date, and his death date, two of life's appointments that we must all keep. Next to his tombstone was my mom, 
my mom's tombstone. She was still alive at that time. And her tombstone read her name, her birthday, and a blank death day. After several years, she joined him and we added her death day. Now, Joe's tombstone is only a few feet away from theirs. When you look around the graveyard, there are as if scoreboards of tombstones that reads, death has won. But for Christians, death has not won. Why? Because we have the resurrection of life. John 5, verse 29. I like how one commentator observed uh, verses 13 and 14. Notice how the apostle Paul carefully worded um, verses 13 and 14. For believers, Paul described them as asleep. For Jesus, he described him as one who died. Jesus died a horrific death in our place to pay for our sins that earned our death. And because he sacrificed his life on the cross for us, he turned death for believers into sleep. This is the good news of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. On a Friday, Our Savior died for our sins. And on that Sunday, God the Father raised our Savior Jesus Christ from death to life so that our resurrection is made possible. Trinity, if Jesus has taken care of our death and our resurrection, isn't he also able to provide for our financial needs? Isn't he also able to heal our sickness? Isn't he also able to heal broken hearts and broken relationships? Isn't he also able to save our loved ones who don't know Jesus? How can Paul confidently declare verse 13? Because Our resurrection is rooted in the gospel. Look with me at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. You see, church, the reason why we can have hope, comfort, and assurance is that we believe that Jesus died and rose again. But in the face of death of a loved one, Trinity, will you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Will you believe that in the face of death of a loved one? Church, how well do you understand the theology of suffering? Do you have a theology of suffering? Death will come to us all. I want to encourage us to have a good theology of suffering so that when death comes, we will be sustained through it. (laughs) 
in the face of death. We can have hope, we can have comfort, we can have assurance, we can have joy in the midst of grieving because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Death could not hold him because God raised him from death to life, showing that his atoning sacrifice was acceptable on the cross on our behalf, and it was perfectly acceptable for the forgiveness of our sin. This is why death does not get the last word. Jesus overcame death for us. Jesus died for us. Therefore, we don't have to fear death. I love first or second Timothy 1:10. He says, "When Jesus appeared, he came to abolish death, and he brought life and immortality to light." Through the gospel. Paul used the word asleep for death because I think it helps us to understand better the doctrine of resurrection. When when a Christian dies, the body goes to sleep, but the soul or the spirit does not. It leaves the body and it goes to be with the Lord. Second Corinthians 5, 8 says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Do you remember what Jesus said to that thief next to him on the cross? Today, surely you will be with me in paradise. While Joe's body is here on earth, I believe that he's in heaven with the Lord in spirit. Verse 14 says that upon Jesus' return, God through Jesus will bring with him those who have died. Doesn't verse 14 give us so much hope and comfort and joy and assurance? For the Thessalonians, the loved ones who have already died, they, they, before the second coming of Jesus, they thought that those that have already died were at a disadvantage. They, no, they were already with Jesus. And God will bring them with Jesus when he returns. I believe my brother Joe has an advantage over all of us. He's with the Lord. Look with me at verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Can you imagine how this glorious truth comforted the young church in Thessalonica? Church, my prayer for us as a church is that the word from the Lord, this word from the Lord will give us hope and comfort when we face the death of a loved one. It will come. It will come. Verse 16 says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with a voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This speaks of Jesus' return. So when will he return? Nobody knows. And it's very wrong for anyone to set dates of when he will return. All we know of in these events is that it will take place in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. 
Theologians call these events the doctrine of the imminent return of Christ. And by definition, imminent just means that it's about to happen any moment. This truth should give us hope, comfort, and assurance. However, some fear that those who are still alive at the return of Jesus will miss it. Some, some take the phrase caught up in verse 17. If you look at verse 17, you'll see the phrase caught up to mean rapture, which is how it's translated in the Latin Vulgate translation. I can see how this can cause fear in other people's um, lives because uh, they take that rapture as a secret rapture. Therefore, in verses 16 and 17, instead of the Lord's second coming, which is what it's in view, what's in view for that interpretation is it's a secret rapture. And so can you imagine thinking if it's secret, am I going to miss it? But I want to encourage those of you who might be in fear of missing the rapture. The way our text reads with the three sounds, especially the trumpet of God, I believe the return of Jesus is going to be public. Amen? Now, that's just me. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm completely 100% right on that. Uh, I don't have any doctoral degrees. Um, I just have the word of God and, and the spirit of God. But it seems like the text reads that way. But We'll proceed in that, in that same direction. We live about three miles from a railroad track. And sometimes I awaken at night to the sound of the train going by Port St. John. Now, if a train three miles away can wake me up, will the trumpet of God wake up everybody? I think the text says it'll wake up the dead, right? <laughs> That's just me. It says that there will be three sounds, the shout of the Lord's command, the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God. And so for the original readers, when they heard this, uh, they would have been familiar with the trumpet sound. A trumpet was blown to declare war. And so you had to have heard this. They, they were used to announce special times and seasons. They blew a trumpet. They were also used to gather people. For the Romans, trumpets were blown to announce the arrival of someone very important. For us, I believe we will hear the shout of a command. We'll hear the sound of God's trumpet, and we will hear the voice of an archangel. I believe Paul's point here is this. As Christians, we won't miss the return of Jesus. I like what other one pastor theologian said. Warren Worsby said this. Whether we Christians live or die, we have nothing to fear because Jesus will come either with us or for us. Church, isn't the advent of Jesus, isn't the perusia or the coming of Jesus so glorious? The phrase caught up in verse 17, the Bible uses it in different ways. It, mean, it could mean to seize, to carry off by force, to snatch out of, out of or away, to claim for oneself eagerly. Therefore, church, 
When we hear the sounds of the Lord's return, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive will be caught up with them in the air. And we will see our loved ones who have died before us, and we will get to see Jesus as he is, face to face. And we will become like him, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. We will have brand new bodies. We will have glorified bodies. God will trade in our broken down, old, worn out bodies for new ones. Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. What a glorious day. What a glorious reunion. We'll get to be with our Savior and our loved ones. We are, church, a forever family. We're a forever family. And I love that. I love that. Since the return of Jesus is inevitable and imminent, we should live every moment of our lives in expectation of his return. But the challenge for us today, church, in these days, is how are we living expectantly? We've got to move on. Verses 16 and 17 are referred to as eschatological passages. Eschatology is a fancy word. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not sharing that to, to, to sound like or look like I'm intelligent. I'm far from that. It's just my responsibility as, as I... As I preach and teach the word of God. This is an eschatological uh, passage. Eschatology just really is just the study of the end times or when Jesus will return. And so without getting into eschatology, which is a widely debated topic, um, I just want to let you know that there are different views. Again, we're not going to get into it. I'm going to try and pronounce this uh, correctly. There are four different views of eschatology. That's why it's widely debated. We have all millennialism, historic premillennialism. We have dispensational premillennialism and postmillennialism. Here are a couple of books that I can recommend to you. This is where um, you can read about the four views. This is um, work from four different authors arguing for different positions. Uh, this one is called The Bible and the Future by Anthony Hokema. This one's really good. I've enjoyed reading this one. Now, I, c- I can imagine that some of you, your eyes have just glossed over in confusion. It's okay, because every time I study eschatology, I always leave confused. <laughs> I do, and I still don't have a solid position. Though... Eschatology is a widely debated topic. We don't want to minimize it. Okay? Why? Here's why. I want to quote my old professor at the pastor's college. He says this about eschatology. Why is it important? Now, is it the main thing? No, the main thing is the cross, the gospel. There are secondary and tertiary things that are important. He says this about eschatology. Eschatology assures us that God's purposes will prevail. 
That's what eschatology assures us. His purposes will prevail. And it motivates us to live faithfully until they do. That's why eschatology is important. And so instead of getting wrapped up in a debate about the four different views, here's the point of studying eschatology. If I could just boil it down to one thing, here's what you should walk away from it. This is the position I take, by the way. Jesus will return and we will be with him always, forever and ever. That's what you should take away from eschatology. You see, the goal of redemption is not only to rec- or it's not only to save us from judgment, from God's righteous judgment, but it is also to reconcile us back to God. And so old death does not separate us. It only delivers us to the Lord and our loved ones who have died before us. The doctrine of the resurrection is such a glorious truth, isn't it? It brings so much hope and comfort and even joy if you fight for it. But it also brings a sobering truth. It also brings a sobering truth. John 5, 28 and 29 says this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. So I think that's, yeah, I think we'll, we'll hear his voice. For an, for, an, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Scripture tells us that there are two types of resurrection. There's the resurrection of life and there's the resurrection of judgment. It's a glorious doctrine. It's a glorious truth. But at the same time, it is a sobering truth. The resurrection of judgment, church, should remind us as a body of Christ to be on gospel mission. Why? Because there are still those whom God has chosen to be his children who have not yet heard the gospel and have not come to saving faith. Church, we are called to proclaim the good news of the gospel. How are we doing in that? How are you? How am I? How are we making an impact in our community for Jesus? In conclusion, verse 18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these, two, with these words. So if you know of a believer who is grieving, then encourage them with these truths. Comfort them. That word encourage there means to comfort and console them with the word of truth. So this is how we'll conclude this morning. We're going to celebrate communion together. Then we'll worship in song and praise God for the hope and assurance that we have in his word in the face of death.
So at Trinity, we value believers' communion. So if you're not a believer, if you don't believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you picked up one of those communion elements, I want to say it's okay for you to not partake in communion. It is our hope that as you heard the message of the cross, that you will be drawn to a saving relationship, a saving faith in Christ Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Parents with younger children, this is an opportunity for you to use your best judgment to care for their souls and in the way, honor the Lord at the same time. Verse 14 says this, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we can celebrate communion church. But before we do, The Bible says that we are not to take communion in an unworthy manner. So I want to lead us in a time of reflection and a time of um, just thinking and examining our hearts. I want to lead us to confess our sins inwardly to the Lord. And then after confession, let's embrace the forgiveness and let's receive the forgiveness that Christ uh, gave to us at the cross. Let's pause for a moment. Please hold the bread. (laughs) This bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for the forgiveness of our sin. So when you take the bread, praise God for the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's take the bread together. Let's hold the cup together. This cup represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross who washed away all unrighteousness. So when you take the cup, praise God for the righteousness that we now have in Christ Jesus. Please take the cup. Will you please stand with me? Let's respond in worship and song to the one who made our resurrection possible. salvation 